This is the smell of the leftover tuna fish sandwich you left in your lunchbox over the weekend in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! Blech! And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag. Hefty, hefty, hefty! Ah, smell the difference? Hefty Ultra Strong has Arm & Hammer with continuous odor control, so no matter what's inside your trash. Hmm. You can stay one step ahead of Stinky. And for bigger jobs, try the superior strength of Hefty Large Black Bags. Blog Talk Radio. Why don't you come on out to the Hey Girls Americana Radio Show, hosted by Song River and Carol Pacey of Carol Pacey and the Honey Shakers. All coming to you live on KWOD Independent Internet Radio, broadcasting from the Ice House Tavern in Phoenix, Arizona. All sound recorded and mixed by Vintage Note Records. So come on out, check out the show, and then visit the website at blogtalkradio.com backslash KWOD radio. We'll see y'all out there. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the next space. Talking tonight, as every week, about manned space travel, exploration, and all of the stuff that gets us there. Tonight, we look back at a week that's been, uh, to say the least, a reality check. We start tonight, big thing that actually hit us this week, as we watched, uh, admiringly, the Cygnus Orbital Sciences launch of their Cygnus craft delivered cargo and material to the space station. However, in less than a minute after launch, that particular craft died. No one was hurt in the explosion, but the rocket was carrying an unmanned Cygnus spacecraft for the ISS, for NASA, when the accident occurred. An orbital update Released Thursday, the rocket seemed to perform normally until about 15 seconds after launch, when some as yet unknown variable caused the rocket to catastrophically fail. Now, they've had a chance to do some up-close visual inspections by the safety team, and it still appears the launch site itself avoided major damage. There's some evidence of damage to the piping run between the fuel and commodity storage vessels and the launch mount, but no evidence of significant damage to either the storage vessels or the launch mount themselves. Crew members on the space station still have plenty of supplies, so there's no immediate danger posed by the Cygnus loss. Now, the unglorious fact from these folks is that now they've got to rework their trash and stowage. Currently, they're filling Columbus up, and the ESA officials wrote, we have a strategy in place to operate efficiently, but now they're going to have to work with trash they cannot get rid of with Orbital 3. Check out the link, a lot more details, lots of information um, to share. Um, but it, it points out important shortcomings in our current manned space program being so dependent on the launches and landings, as well as the trash handling that they do uh, to use up the old modules and send them full of garbage back to a fiery burn up in the atmosphere. Second this week, on Friday, Virgin Galactic Spaceship 2 broke apart and crashed. 
Spaceship 2 co-pilot Michael Osbury died, but Peter Seibold, Scales Director of Flight Operations, was piloting the ship and was injured in the crash. He is apparently alert and talking for part of the NTSB, told reporters Saturday that the craft broke apart of mid-flight with debris falling over a five-mile stretch of the Mojave Desert, based on an initial survey. Now, the investigation will likely spend up to seven days at Mojave, then up to 12 months on analysis. He added an intergalactic vow that its private space program will go on. Now, again, we're looking at a reality check. It's been quite some time, not since, I think, uh, what, uh, Challenger and Columbia settled your serious losses in the space community. No, I take that back. We had three people lost in the uh, fuel tank explosion and scale deposits a few years back. Um, so this is actually the second accident with a fuel or engine-related malady for Virgin Galactic. This will be telling, especially since just this year, or last, just this last 12-month period, they've switched their fuel from one type of hybrid fuel engine to another type of fuel engine. Uh, I'm sure within the coming weeks, we should find out very quickly um, the challenges that Virgin Galactic is going to face in, in getting a uh, commercial-worthy craft to carry passengers. Now, with the, uh, the death of, uh, death of uh, Michael Alsbury and the severe injuries of Peter Seibold, uh, uh, I'm sure the families are struggling this, this weekend as they work to get past these events. We, uh, our hearts go out to them in our prayers as well. But this does serve as a uh, strong reality check that uh, working on space, not only is it not cheap, not cheap in the monetary sense, but it's not cheap in human lives. But let's move on to the rest of our news for this week. Now, NASA has had a couple of other things. Um, we've got some information. Uh, we spotted a link where they talk about, uh, somebody created an infographic for us, NASA's current asteroid redirect mission calls plan calls for uh, a robotic probe to go out, grab an asteroid or boulder from a large space rock in deep space and tow it back to lunar orbit, where we would then proposal advocated in October of this year, an editorial in the journal Nature would fly through directly to the near asteroid in its native orbit. So there's an infographic to check out what they actually might propose. Uh, interesting reading. Interesting reading how they map it out, how they define uh, how it might work. Now, on to discuss this NASA asteroid capture mission, we have another story here that talks about how maybe an asteroid capture mission won't help astronauts reach Mars. Now, NASA's uh, mission is an expensive distraction that does little to advance the, the agency's overarching goal of getting humans to Mars, this researcher argues. Now, for the last 18 months, NASA's been working on a plan to 
dragged this asteroid, as we said a moment ago, or boulder, down into lunar orbit using a robotic probe. Now, that captured asteroid would then be visited by astronauts aboard the agency's Orion capsule, ideally by 2025 at the latest. Now comes Richard Benzeel, a professor of planetary science and aeronautics and astronautics at MIT. And he begs to differ, saying ARM makes no sense, he says. The print quote, the principal reason that ARM makes no sense is that it is a misstep off the path to Mars. Nothing about sending humans to Mars that requires us to capture an asteroid in a baggie. That's a multi-million dollar expenditure that has nothing to do with getting humans to Mars. Hardware and operations to capture, contain, and redirect an asteroid are dead-end elements with no value for long duration for space travel, he writes. Conveying to the public that reaching Mars requires patient and diligent expression and capabilities is the honest alternative to distracting them with a one-off costly stunt. Now, uh, oops, I got to get the link up for you. Thing is, you guys have heard me talk before that I really dislike a lot of what's been going on in the industry. You got Mars One, you got Mars Initiative. Uh, uh, Mars Society has been pushing Mars direct for many years. We've got this, now this ARM, and we've also got many different alternatives of lunar programs. And most of these, if not all of them, follow exactly what Mr. Bazile is talking about being a one-off publicity-grabbing mission to go collect some rocks, bring them back for, for the study of blah, 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 blah. Basically, uh, grab a souvenir on a flight and come home. I've never been a fan of this type of engineering or program design. I am not now. And it seems we have a gentleman who shares that particular belief. If we're going to move into space, and if we're going to send a robot to go collect an asteroid, that robot needs to do so like the Planetary Resources Plan. Go bring it back and mine the darn thing. Whether with robotics or whether with astronauts, doesn't matter. But those types of things make a whole lot more sense rather than just go grab a rock and bring it home and study. Well, moving on to international news, China has been busy this week. Got to tell you, these guys, these guys are hoofing it. Their uh, lunar test mission returned intact, not only intact, but on time, right where it wanted it to be. The head of China's lunar probe program has called for a thorough analysis of data collected from the test lunar orbiter which returned just this past Saturday to speed up the work on the Chang 5, the star of the 2017 lunar mission. Now, with the test lunar orbiter landing early Saturday in North China, after an eight-day flight that went, went around it and came back, China joined the Soviet Union and the United States and became the third nation to realize the return mission to the moon. So, this is... This is okay. Again, I'm getting wow. Uh, <laughs> I must apologize, folks. My partner, Joe, is not here this evening to guide me through this. Give me a little bit as I get used to the sequence of things. She was here last week to remind me and guide me through it, preparing for today. But um, she is off actually at a convention. For a moment, I'll tell you, we had FearCon 
running this evening. Actually, it's been running since last evening, which is basically where they took a bunch of uh, pop culture vendors, artists. I mean, we got books out there. There are artists out there that bought loads of food. Uh, if you're still of a mind, check it out at 99th Avenue and uh, just north of McDowell Road at the Beer Farm location. Apparently, they, they created a great partnership that has turned out real well for most of the vendors that decided to come out for the Beer Con this weekend. Con tonight, I think Beer Farm may be closing tonight, if not Monday or Tuesday. So check that out. Lots of loads of activities, loads of fun here at the Con. So moving back to, to China, now the, the next link we've got here, it talks about how China is gearing up after this latest uh, lunar return mission. And they've returned mission. Okay. The Chinese moon probe, the data that this guy is talking about realizing was launched on the 23rd atop a Long March 3C rocket, completed a flyby of the moon before swinging back towards home. Now, it sent a test capsule barreling into the Earth's atmosphere Friday, 25,000 miles an hour, and it survived the Herring trip intact touched down as planned in North China's Inner Mongolian Autonomous Region around 6 p.m. Eastern Daylight Friday, or roughly 6 a.m. Saturday, local Chinese time. An eight-day unmanned flight designed to test out technology for future lunar samples. The interesting thing about this launch, um, and we've got another article here, again, about China. China is moving up in the world as an international launch force. This is actually their third launch in a seven-day period. Now, they put an uh, uh experimental Xinjiang military satellite into orbit Monday on top of the Long March rocket, marking the third Chinese space launch in a week. Now, the Xinjiang space, spacecraft lifted off at uh, almost right around 7 a.m. Greenwich time Monday from the Xinquan that road to uh, see. Now, this was a satellite launch, and they didn't announce this in advance. So, typical stuff. Now, this was, however, the third Chinese space launch in a week, coming after the October 20 liftoff of the military's uh, Yagan-22 reconnaissance satellite and the October 23rd launch of the demonstrator probe moving around the moon and coming back to Earth. Overall, uh, this last launch marked the ninth Chinese space launch of 2014. So the interesting thing here is, is that China is gearing up, literally, as an international provider of launch services, but also for their own um, aggressive space program as it begins, and military satellites, but um, uh, space exploration, and uh, also with the cleaner Tiangong, and now the uh, uh, oh, Chang, they're, they're preparing for a full lunar mission to occur in the coming years. Not to be outdone, this was a planned launch from Russia, which launched their six-hour fast-track uh, trajectory for an ISS resupply mission. Uh, the unmanned Russian Progress ship launched uh, on 
early Wednesday on the 29th, beginning a six-hour cargo delivery. The 57, Progress 57 blasted off Baikonur in Kazakhstan, uh, top of Russian Soyuz. They'll be serving Expedition 41 crew and is expected to three tons of supplies and is expected to link up with the European Space Station by 9 a.m. Again, of course, this is history. But again, the Russians are cooking right along. Some of the most dependable stuff has come out of Russia, at least with regard to Soyuz and progress. The only downside is the stuff burns up in the atmosphere. What a waste of material and equipment. Now, in addition, okay, India has made a new announcement this week and is talking about the preparations of their first test of a unmanned crew compartment. They're preparing to launch in the first half of December an experimental mission of the Geosynchronous Satellite Launch Vehicle Mark III, GSLV Mark III. Now, certain reviews are going on at the moment. We expect by December first half we should be able to have the launch from the ISRO chairman, K. Radhakrishna. Now, speaking on the sidelines of the engineers' contemplating 2014, so the launch date would depend on preparedness, certain analysis, blah, 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 or typical. Also, they need to have the recovery of the crew module, which they're getting ready for launch. It should happen in the first half of December. And he said the 630-ton <coughs> Mark III will carry a crew module of 3.65 tons. And they plan to use this module of Warsaw derivative of it send astronauts to space eventually. So <coughs> when we look at the timelines, India is rapidly setting itself up to be the fourth nation to send its own astronauts into space. Very interesting stuff. Neat announcements as we again move forward. Our next item moves us into private space development. SpaceX is going to try a rocket landing on a floating ocean platform, this next launch. Now, back on the 24th, uh, at a press conference, Elon Musk said that SpaceX is hoping to bring a rocket back to space and land it on a giant floating platform in the ocean. <clears throat> the company is expecting to try to land the booster on the platform as part of their next launch to space. Now, Elon explained that landing a reusable rocket on a floating platform, which is about 300 feet long and 170 feet wide, um, a big step towards bringing the company's Falcon 9 rocket back to dry land. Now, he and SpaceX hope to develop the reusable rocket system, the capsules, of course, in order to decrease the cost of access to space, which would make even make a colony on Mars a viable option at some point. Now, keep in mind, They've already successfully flown uh, boosters back to Earth already in the ocean, as I can recall, at least twice, or three, no, three times. And in each instance, the booster came down, paused in its hover motion for a few seconds before topping over. And they actually, I remember they got the video for two of those landings, the second one. Ah, they had some trouble with that. But anyway, uh, and also in the news, SpaceX brought its latest capsule back home this week.
back in the out in the Pacific on the 25th, two tons of cargo was delivered back to Earth by the SpaceX Dragon capsule from the ISS. It was released from the station on P7 a.m., and its parachute guided splash down west of Baja, California, which was confirmed around 3.38 p.m., marking the end of SpaceX fourth of 12 unmanned delivery missions to the space station for its $1.6 billion contract. The DAG Dragon has been attached to the orbiting lab for just a little over a month. Now, one of the things to keep in mind is that these capsules, uh, like the Soyuz, are generally left open when attached to the space station so that they can pack trash in or experiments as they close them out or clothing or whatever it is that, that amounts to trash or waste materials that they're going closing out when it's uh, or at least into the progress shift when those go down. And for the Dragon, the experiment and you know, the parts and materials that they're sending back to work. Dragon, I believe, save the Soyuz, is the only craft capable of bringing materials back to Earth, which gives SpaceX, in my mind, a pretty substantial leg up on the competition. Challenge, as we found this week, to send cargo to the ISS. But I think it's another, it, it gives great value to SpaceX that they can also return cargo from the station as needed. Moving on to our related tech area, here's an article from AstroWatch where, yeah, good, they talk about living off the land of the final frontier. Safely sending human explorers to and from Mars is going to be a challenge of a generation. Well, we, we know that. We've been waiting for this for at least two, three generations. We don't yet know what clues astronauts are going to recover the Martian soil or atmosphere that would reveal knowledge about our solar system. But one thing is certain, and they're going to need Mars contains critical resources that can sustain a human presence. Now, harvesting those resources, as we all know, is going to be key to pioneering the red planet because they're going to have to grow their own food. Enabling missions deeper into space than ever before, NASA is investing in technology for the Institute to Research utilization, ISRU, the ability to find and use natural resources beyond Earth. Now, this includes refining consumables like breathable air, water, and even using them to grow food. With ISRU, future astronauts may even be able to create rocket fuel and 3D printed parts and structures to use locally sourced materials. Now, in the short term, ISRU is, is one of the key capabilities NASA needs to help astronauts rely less on supplies from Earth and become more self reliant on expeditions far from home. Um, and I, I again, I, I said before that while this is a step in the right direction, there's a lot of good information here. Um, the challenge, however, I see is one that in NASA's purview, most engineering solutions, again, it's an engineering solution, hydroponics and all of the stuff that they have to carry with it and the extra power that goes into conveyors and the, the pumps and the lighting, all this kind of stuff, and that we have other solutions available to us that I, sadly, I feel often that NASA just basically is missing. And to look at, 
as we move forward. Some of this maybe we'll take a look at it when we get to our commentary section. Now our next link, again from the related tech area, making the moon. Now this is a little bit of a flashback, but it also pretends um, something else to keep in mind as we move forward and begin to prepare for the Mars mission or missions or lunar missions that will be coming up soon. Between the years of 69 and 72, astronauts of the Apollo missions personally explored the alien landscape of the lunar surface. Well, we all know that. We watched the landing. We watched, well, some of us continued watching the multiple But this shuffling, bounding, digging, and roving across six sites on the moon. Now, in order to prepare for that ventures, they needed to practice extensively here on Earth so that they would be ready to execute the long list of activities required to accomplish the mission and lunar EPAs. Now, where could they find the type of landscape that resembles the moon's rugged, dusty, and most importantly, cratered terrain? Well, they came close at the Cinder Lakes Crater Fields of Flagstaff, Arizona. Now, this is uh, a little bit, I believe it's south of Sunset Crater, northern Arizona. And in the area where that's publicly accessible in the single Cinder Lakes field, um, it's become real popular with ATV enthusiasts. You can actually go visit this area. But the largest craters are the only ones left to be distinguished at all in a publicly accessible area. Now, there is a smaller field that's fenced off the vehicles, and it still contains many of the original craters used by the Apollo astronauts, often by time but still visible, which also is incredibly important for future missions. If we're going to prepare, we need to be able to have access to this type of terrain. Care if it's just Mars or if, if this is cratered or not. But these types of facilities or these areas need to be prepared, they need to be preserved so that they can be used again and again and again to train our next generation of astronauts and then beyond those, our generations of settlers who will be coming and going for us. Now, some, some little notes about this area in Flagstaff, Arizona is that most of these craters were artificially created. They actually laid out a plan, they dug some holes, they buried some explosives, and they literally exploded craters uh, to model the very similar landscape where the Apollo astronauts were going to be landing and working. So definitely an interesting article to check out uh, as you take a look at things in related things. Now, from our opportunities to participate section tonight, There's been a lot of buzz lately about a new movie about to come out called Interstellar. And it's an interesting thing. I've watched uh, some of the uh, trailers, and it, McConaughey looks like he's going to do a great job. He's an astounding actor. I've admired him for some time. Now, people who buy tickets on Fandango for Interstellar will have a chance to win a flight into space aboard the Lynx Mark II spacecraft by X Corp. The contest is a result of a partnership between Paramount, Vice uh, Media's Motherboard Channel, and Fandango. One winner will be selected to embark on a trip reaching an altitude of 100 kilometers 
and will also receive 4G simulator training as well as round-trip travel and hotel accommodations if for Spaceport Mojave, California. Now, fall between the fall of 2016 and 2017. Now, Adam Rockmore, uh, Fandango's VP of Marketing, says, we're always looking for innovative ways to add value to our Fandango movie ticket for consumers. The interstellar trip is clearly the coolest prize we've ever given to a moviegoer in the 14 years of their company. So, uh, interesting, interesting thing to read about, participate, check it out. Uh, we try to keep a uh, 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 nice list of ways that people can participate in this. Again, uh, I've got a lot of bones to pick with space advocacy groups, but that being the case, there are some neat things that people can do. Go down some of these others that we actually have uh, that we keep putting up each week. The Mars missions, the Mars Society has uh, two analog stations now. They've got the Flashline Mars Arctic Research Station, which is on Devon Island, about 165 kilometers northeast of Resolute in Nunavut, Canada. And then there's the Mars Desert Research Station, which is located in San Rafael Swell in Utah. Now, the MDRS has been inhabited by 130 individual crews between the first field season in December 2001 and the 12th season back in May 2013. And they're actually. Uh, they were accepting applications uh, several months back for the 2014-2015 season. They're actually beginning preparations to begin their first crew inhabitation of that. Now, the uh, Flashline Arctic Research Station has seen 12 separate crews uh, inhabiting that station. And while they send, spend less than a single month, uh, the Mars Crew 11 remains on the station for a Mars simulation of 100 days. So they can get some really interesting stuff done. And these are actually open uh, to the public to apply for. So check these things out, folks. Uh, here's our uh, the Mars Society page for the Flashline location. There's our link for that. And to actually also check out the desert, uh, Mars Desert Research Station. Uh, check out this link. And there are, they publish uh, early in the year the openings for applications to currently join them at the Mars Desert Research Station. Check that out. Keep keep on track with that. And hopefully uh, you could have an opportunity to spend some time at a mock mission to Mars. Now, here's another one the uh, Mars. Rover, the Mars Desert Research Station, sponsored by, guess who, Mars Society. They hold this as an annual competition. Check out the website. You can register. Uh, there are links there that can take you over to uh, last year's or this year's actual competition that just closed out a couple of months back. Um, check them out. See what's happening. Um, also, one of the biggest uh, things that's out there today the Mars Initiative. They talk a lot about what is going on. They share information. They have different things they can uh, offer to people and so forth. Celestial Suds. If you haven't heard about this, these are beers uh, that were prepared by a brewery, Michigan-based Bell's Brewery. Um, and they were planning, starting in August, 
to release one different beer a month based on each of the planets, in each of uh, seven of the planets in our solar system. So check that out. Who knows? You might try some celestial suds. Also, the Boy Scouts have some programs for merit badge programs and research and service projects that incorporate in SpaceX. Recently released was the idea of making your own spaceship to orbiter. And lastly, we have a, uh, a link to this website out here. This is, um, for many of you uh, Space Shuttle Orbiter fans, check this out, a little blast from the past. This, there's actually a forum, the website, there's a Wikipedia entry, there's a review of the program. Uh, check it out, there's a lot to look at. It is actually a simulator of the Space Shuttle. So you can actually get on there, download the software, and pilot this craft. And have some fun experimenting with what works and what doesn't, what you can do and what you can't do. So check it out. Lots of fun ways to get involved, to get a feel for what it is and what some of the stuff that's involved in man's place and space flight. Too long, uh, we all have been sitting on the sidelines. And you can't just sit on the sidelines. you got to go do something. If you do research, great. If you go out and you try and moon society or space society or planetary society's booths at different conventions and shows, things like this. Go visit challenger centers, which, by the way, I forgot I'll put a link on here for that. Um, I'll find that for next week. Um, keep active. We were, I'm 57 years old. I remember sitting. In that fateful day in July 1969, watching those guys land on the moon. And I remember that for most of my early adult life, there was no way to get involved. Well, nowadays there are. There are things that you can do. And even Kerbal Space Program. Anybody heard of KSP? You guys got to check this out. Yes, it's a game. But this is an incredible game. Have some fun while you learn some science. There's, there's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And in fact, it's a great thing to do. We're going to take a, uh, a few minutes break here. Uh, actually, we're going to take a five-minute break, let you listen to some uh, nice, uh, relaxing music here. And we will be back in five minutes for station identification. Cause I'll meet you in the air Yes, I'll meet you in the air We pretend that we're prepared And act like we're not scared We'll meet you in the air
is made possible by PwC. It's getting hot out here. Moving the mercury can help move your business. PwC helps turn sustainability theory into real-world action. Reduce your carbon footprint while increasing transparency in net zero commitments. Start with reporting to identify your climate risks and reinvent your business. Create a more sustainable business and a stronger planet. It's all part of the new equation. Learn more at the newequation.com.